If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed last week our live wild, our call-in show. I'll definitely keep you guys posted on more opportunities to call in. What I really liked about that is you guys really dictated where the conversation went. And it seemed to be a lot of the topic was on spring hunting, especially for bears. That got me thinking about a few other things that I like to do in the spring. And one of those things is scouting. And it's using the spring to scout for some fall success. Because when you think about a lot of the animals we hunt, elk and deer, they might spend their time on a winter range, but they can be definitely migratory, moving to a summer range, maybe an alpine area where they're going to grow up the antlers, or even moving to an area a long ways away. Some herds actually cover hundreds of miles, which makes scouting before the season, maybe you drew a tag in a particular area, makes scouting before the season near impossible because, frankly, the animals aren't there. You know, as hunters, we really focus on uh, when animals migrate into a place, but we forget to focus on when they migrate back. And by matching conditions in the spring, you can effectively scout what I like to call a reverse migration. You can use other times a year to pinpoint popular areas that deer and elk move through, maybe even find an animal worth targeting early. But before we get into that, I wanna share the story of a buck that I used a spring hunt to uncover his fall habits. A couple years ago, I was hunting this area for spring bear that I like to chase elk and deer in as well. And I figured, well, might as well go in there, look for bears. It's a winter range. So I was actually focusing on areas where I thought uh, does would be dropping fawns. Because I figured if, I, if I'm going bear hunting, I might as well go look for the ones that are being predatory and snatching up baby deer or elk calves, right? And so I'm in the area and I start to see, you know, like normal, I kind of pay attention to everything when I'm out there. And and sure enough, I'm seeing a lot of bucks. And it, it, this particular year, it was kind of one of those fairly late winters. So we got a lot of snow in the spring and it, it kind of made the Alpine inaccessible. So I was in that more mid-range mountain, um, kind of just essentially what I was doing is following the snow line up um, because I figured, well, that's a good place. There's a lot of green up there. Uh, there's also, maybe I could get into some deer dropping fawns and figured that that would be a good place to hunt. So I started in this particular pocket, started picking up a lot of bucks. Now it was, it was fairly early in the spring. They were just starting to grow out. You know, most of the bucks would have nubs, maybe six inches, maybe a little brow tine, maybe start to fork, uh, nothing real crazy, right? So 
I'm hunting in this particular area and it, I'm going to this one canyon where I had actually taken a bear a couple years earlier. So I knew that there's, there's oftentimes bears in the area. And I, I come around the corner and, and actually spotted a bear. Uh, but the wind shifted and he ran off. I was like, ah, dang. So I decided to kind of continue hunting this particular spot and checking all the pockets. Well, in this particular spot, there's this one long ridge that kind of led up to what I would consider maybe more alpine backcountry type areas. And, um, and there was all these little, little pockets in there, like almost like, uh, if you think of it, like main ridge comes down and these little finger ridges coming off. And it was, it was semi-timbered, but there was a little bit of everything. Like each one of these little pockets had uh, enough to, to house deer. So some of the pockets had does and then some had little bachelor groups of bucks already. And I'm moving through and I spot uh, a deer and just looking at all the deer and I think, whoa, okay, now I see this buck. I'm like, this is weird. This buck is big, but it's, it's like big and small. It's, it's real early. Everything else has only grown a few inches. And here's a buck that's got a typical frame that's probably close to 145 inches early in the spring. In my experience running into deer like that, those are the deer that grow out and become 190, 200-inch bucks. They put on a lot of antler and really outclass all the other deer around. Now, this deer didn't even look super mature. Um, I, would, I, I figured him about four and a half years old. And so I thought, okay, this is definitely a deer that I need to start paying attention to because if I can come back in here and find him during, you know, watch him throughout the year, then we'll be able to get back on this buck. So, you know, as the bear season progresses, I tried to keep tabs on the deer, kept tabs on him for a little while. But as that, that snow started to melt off, that buck just straight up vanished. I, I searched all summer for him. I searched early fall, early archery season, never found that deer again. And that got me thinking about, okay, well, well what, why was that buck in this particular area? Well, he was probably transitional into this area. This area, particular area, tends to, it'll have few resident deer, but then a lot of other deer will start moving in during the rut and then during the winter. Right, So it's gathering up. It's like deer start coming out of the woodwork later in the season that you never see any other time. And it started to click. Okay, that deer was migrating back, migrating back to some summer range. Uh, maybe, so I, I actually went up and checked some of the places that I thought in summer range and I never turned up that buck. But as the season progressed back into the fall, I thought, well, I bet you that deer's now moving back into this pattern of where he was before. He probably spent all winter here. He's familiar with this ridge in these areas. I'm going to go back there as, as these conditions start to match up, as the snow starts to push him down. So I guess it'd be the second or third week, I guess it was the third week of November. I went back into that particular spot, not a spot that I particularly chased deer in the past, but I went back in there and sure enough, started seeing does and some small bucks. And I saw this one buck that I was like, is it, is that buck one of the other deer that I saw this spring? And so I start really picking apart this particular spot within a mile of where I'd seen that deer in the springtime. And sure enough, turned up that same big typical four by four. He was a really nice buck. I was actually um, guiding a client and it was one of those deer where it's like, okay, this deer has everything. Deep forks, he wasn't super wide. Uh, definitely would have scored well, like a, a really big buck. But decided I actually was like, okay, let's look for one to give him the pass. 
let this deer get a little more age on him, a couple more years, and this deer will be a tremendous deer. Um, he grew out pretty good, I would say, probably like high 180s. Um, but this is a particular, this particular area was a limited entry unit where you wait your entire life to draw a tag. And we had some other deer that we were thinking about looking for. So using that knowledge, I was like, all right, now I've kind of figured out how to keep tabs on this particular buck. So the following year did the same thing, went back in the springtime, found the deer, you know, I could tell, okay, here's a deer and a couple actually found another deer that I wasn't expecting to find watching that deer grow out go back in that same time in the fall and was able to pick up that same buck just only in that area a couple times a year, but when the conditions kind of matched, you'd be in that region on the mountain. Other times a year, I have no clue where this particular buck goes, but when I can match up those two instances where the snow was a certain level, where it was a certain time of year, I could turn up a really big buck pretty consistently, essentially by scouting in a time of year that was opposite the time of year that I was hunting. So what we're doing with the spring scouting is we're really trying to kind of build an idea of what the area looks like, where the deer move, where the deer hold up, where they're going to congregate, and then possibly even maybe building out or finding a specific deer and then being able to target that deer later on. Now, Sometimes it can be hard to, like my story, I found a specific deer and I'm able to kind of continually find that deer based on the conditions and just knowing his travel routes. But because of that, I've actually found a lot of other deer that I didn't know were there just by understanding how the deer move in a particular area. There's a lot of places, this, this works really well in a lot of units in California where deer are highly transitional. A lot of places in Wyoming where they're very transitional. But I think the first step is to kind of figure out what kind of area that you're going to be hunting. So there's a few different populations, and I'm going to break those down, the different types of deer populations that might be in a particular area. So the first would be what we call resident deer. This is the resident population. So these are deer that really don't move. They they live in an area, they they have their, their preferred areas, but maybe they'll go be in one canyon and they'll go to the next canyon and they'll just, they'll be in that unit. They aren't leaving the unit. They aren't going hundreds of miles. Maybe they aren't even going to a high country. Maybe it's a particularly low elevation unit. And they just kind of always live there, right? They spend their entire year within a, a fairly small area. And there's a lot of hunting units where the only population in there is a resident population. But there's also a lot of areas where there are some resident deer and then other transitional deer. So one way to decide whether it's a resident population or you know, a very transitional population is if you go out scouting, maybe you, you, if you could go three times a year and you kind of see deer maybe always in the same spots or always same type of spots, the animals are kind of always there. It's not like the po- it's not like a certain point of the year you see way higher populations than others. Of course, maybe conditions make you see more deer, but it seems to be that okay, the deer are just kind of always here. That's a resident population. So the next we're going to talk about is a localized migration. So this is the deer that I would or deer, elk, or whatever it doesn't matter what you're hunting, where they go from maybe a lower winter range to say a summer alpine. They're more transitional in elevation than in anything else, right? So in the winter, the mount, maybe the mountains where they live, the snow gets so high that they actually cannot survive there. So they have to move down and they hit lower elevation terrain to survive the winter. Then they go back up to the summer alpine because 
There's a lot more food there. It's better food source for growing antlers. When deer are growing out, they need, well, deer and elk, they need a lot of nutrients and they need really high nutrient food sources. And that alpine tends to be more open where, especially for elk that are grazers, they can get that really rich grass up there. For deer, it's uh, cooler during the summer. It's uh, a little more open for their sensitive vent velvet covered antlers and there's a lot of good growth up there like new growth that has a little bit more nutrient density so that it's like i guess if you think about antlers growing out for a buck or bull to grow out antlers it's about the same amount of energy expansion or um, needs as a cow or doe growing a fawn so you think about that that's a lot of growth they need a lot of energy so they're going to go to the best place for that but they can't live up there year round so they're going to be moving down to that winter range that lower area figuring out uh, areas that might be localized migration can kind of be a couple ways first you can say okay well in the winter is there really high populations here and then they kind of disappear during the summer also just looking at the area maybe you're looking at it on a topo map and you're saying well, okay there's a lot of low elevation here but this area particularly goes straight up into big mountains maybe there's 5,000 feet or more of elevation change it's a high likelihood that those deer have some kind of localized migration now the third kind of migration that you'll see is what we'd call like a long distance migration this happens a lot in i mean a lot of a lot of animals actually do these long distance migrations um, but it's primarily mule deer Wyoming and California, I would say, are the top two states where there's really big long-distance migrations. But there's a lot of areas as well where elk do this. So they might be living up in these high plateau-y areas where I wouldn't say it's high country, but it's, it's just high elevation. And maybe the particular area is 7,000, 8,000, 9,000 feet, right? And then there's mountains around that go up to 10,000 feet or more. And then the winter comes and those valleys become essentially unlivable for the animals. So those, those big valleys that hold a lot of good habitat for most of the year during the winter time just cannot support elk or deer habitat. So they end up moving to another spot. And that might mean moving a long distance to get some lower elevation country where they can winter. So these long distance migrations, there's places along that route where you can hunt that the animals don't really stick around. They just kind of pass through on their way to the winter range. So at some point, there's animals in that particular area, and then there's kind of nothing. There might be a few resident stragglers here or there, maybe a, a small localized migration, but for the, the majority of the year, it's like very few animals. So you go out scouting, you go, ah, I don't see anything. I don't see why maybe it's a limited entry tag. You go, I don't see why this area is such a uh, hot ticket draw, right? There's no animals here. But a certain time of year, there's a lot of animals. They're just moving through. And when you think about these long distance migrations, it's not necessarily like the animals are constantly walking, right? They kind of do it over a series of times. So they're moving, they're in an area, they're hanging out, they're doing their things, they're feeding, they're, they're doing whatever. And then they slowly start moving along. As conditions start to change, they start moving along. And they keep doing that throughout the entire distance of this migration. So what we're thinking about is keying in on, okay, understanding what type of population is where I'm hunting. And then how can I kind of exploit this, revert, this idea of this reverse migration and pinpoint where the animal's using 
How are they using it? And what's that going to look like when it comes to be fall season? I think one question that might come up when you're thinking about uh, looking at scouting early as a reverse migration, well, how accurate is it, right? If I see a deer during the spring, is it going to be guaranteed that when I go back in the fall, I'm going to find that same exact buck? And I would definitely say no. I mean, it can happen. It's happened to me before multiple times. But what we're doing is we're, we're planning on trying to find the right zones to get into to understand where the deer are in our area. The whole point of scouting is to really figure out the behavior and the places to focus your hunt on. And sometimes you think about, okay, well, we've got a really good tag. Maybe we've got five days to hunt and uh, we can only take off a five-day block, right? Or maybe a, a full week, whatever, whatever you've got. Or maybe it's just weekends. Whatever it is, we want to make the most efficient use of that time while we've got the tag in our pocket and can be in the field. But if we're spending most of that time struggling to figure out where the deer even like to be, then we're kind of a few steps behind. So the point of scouting is to just figure out the behavior of the animals and, and places that are good places to focus on for your hunt. That's why if you're able to get out in the spring, we can figure out the particular zones that the deer we already know deer like. There's a lot of deer country that doesn't, deer, elk, whatever, a lot of country that doesn't hold animals. That is actually probably suitable for animals. There's just, for some reason, it's not in their route. It's not in their path. It's not a place that they tend to hang out. There's places that I've hunted my entire life that look like phenomenal elk spots. And I have never seen an elk in that particular spot. And, and of course, I keep looking just to prove myself wrong at some point. But there's certain places that they just don't like. And so finding out the places that they do is really important. But you have to find out where they like while they're there. And that's the point of scouting in the spring is you might be able to encounter animals that are there a certain time that aren't there later in the year or the rest of the year, but then do come back to that area. So we're figuring out, okay, they like this basin. This basin's holding a lot of deer. This basin's holding a lot of whatever. Because sometimes if you look at the spring and the fall, it's essentially like the spring, everything's growing up and the fall, everything's dying off, right? But they're kind of opposites in a way where the winter is on either side of it, right? Um, in the spring, winter is leaving and on the fall side, winter is coming. So if you look at it like that, it's kind of mirroring itself in some ways. A lot of things translate to those opposite seasons where you, when you can pinpoint that translation point, right? Where things are starting to shift in either way, then you can kind of hone in and say, okay, what are these animals like here? Why are they here? What are they doing? And maybe this is a preferred area. Maybe this is a preferred route. We can start to uncover the animals in the area we're going to be hunting uh, outside of the time that we're hunting there. So now let's look at how we actually do a scout during a reverse migration. So the first thing I look for is what I call condition matching. So I'm trying to figure out the move back plan. Think about big herds that move anywhere, right? why are they moving out? What are they moving back to? What is the snow level in the winter and the time of year and the type of herd doing? And I'm trying to match those conditions on either side, the mirroring conditions between spring and fall season. So the first thing I'm going to now ask is, well, I looked at what type of population was it? And in one particular area, I, I've hunted many areas where there are resident deer, there's a localized migration, and then there's a long-range migration, right? Uh, especially areas that have really good winter range, you might have all three of those conditions. So now we're going to say, okay, 
what are the deer in this area doing while I'm there? I'm, it's springtime. I'm matching these conditions, right? The, the snow, let's say the snow in the alpine is too thick for those alpine, too heavy for those alpine deer to go back up there. So we know that they're going to be holding in some place. Now, during the springtime, I might be scouting around and say, okay, well, down in the real low winter range, I'm still only seeing does and fawns, and the bucks have kind of started to disappear. Well, they're pulling back because they're the ones that are going to be going up into that alpine in bachelor groups. So I'm going to be looking for maybe that mid-level elevation on the mountain where I'm up high enough that I'm away from maybe some of the predators and other things that are concentrated in that winter range that maybe you're going after some of the fawning or calving areas and they're pulling back they're starting to move up toward that alpine but they're in ample like where they've got good habitat below that snow line so i'm going to start looking for that if it's a migration area where hey they're they're moving long distances well maybe i'll start looking at okay what's a good travel corridor for them and what's a, a restrictive corridor for these animals let's say they move into the area from 100 miles away uh, and it's a big high plateau well they're probably moving through i would say they're probably moving through some kind of saddle or some low area they're probably following a certain long ridge so they're using these transitional areas so i maybe focus on those areas and when those areas start to clear up when animals can start moving through there i'm going to look at those conditions and then go scout those particular spots and if it's an area where it's it's resident deer well i can actually even just pay attention to what are these deer doing now in the springtime and then maybe translate that into the fall as well so one thing I like to do when I'm thinking about, I'm building out this picture of, okay, I'm an animal, I moved to a winter range, and then at some point I have to move back to my summer range, right? And I'm building out this picture. So I wanna say, well, where are they now and where are they going? And this is helping me build out this path. So if I've got an animal that's gonna be heading into the high country, uh, during the springtime, I'm trying to figure out where they are and then kind of look at those logical routes that lead to that high country. because. What I want to do is I want to try to find, even if I don't find that same animal in the high country summer range, right? I'm trying to find populations of animals. So I'm just looking at where the number's at. It's more of a numbers game for me because when I go out into the fall season, I want to be encountering a lot of animals. I want those numbers. And so I want to know the areas where the numbers are happening. So if I go out to an area, say springtime, I'm a little bit below the summer range and I start scouting, I start seeing pockets of deer here, pockets of deer here. Those are the places that I'm gonna mark them and say, this is a good area, this is a good area, right? Now I'm gonna pull out my map and say, where do I actually think these deer are going? Are they heading up to a basin here? Is there a logical ridge that makes it easy travel? Is there a place that I think that they could summer at? What I'm doing is I'm building out this theoretical map of where these animals are moving there's obviously a lot of places where they've done studies and collars and stuff like that, but not every area you can figure out these actual migration routes. You have to kind of build it out yourself and you build it out by finding good population of animals and then saying, where's the logical places that they're going and knowing, okay, well, they're probably going from here on the winter range. They're probably going up here in the summer range. Here's how I can focus my area during the springtime. I'm looking at where they are in the winter, where they might be going in the summer and then pinpointing places on the map, even just by e-scouting, where I can go, okay, here's a logical place where they're traveling between these two areas. And then I'll start focusing on that during the spring. As summer comes along, 
I'll actually try to verify that. I'll go into some high country base and say, okay, well, okay, I'm getting good populations here. Now I can think of it in the other direction. I can think of it, okay, now these animals will probably move back to that winter range. And now where was I intersecting those in the spring? And that's where I'm gonna start building my fall hunt plan. When we're talking about long transitional areas, right? I like to really pinpoint those logical travel routes, those long ridges, those, those places with really good pockets for animals to kind of hold up. When you look at, especially when it looks like California, they've done a lot of studies and you can see, okay, here's a migration route. And those deer will, it's almost like a caribou migration where they're going through these areas at a certain time of year. But understanding the areas where they're going to hold up is probably going to be the key for those particular spots. If you've got a, a tag in an area where you know it's transitional, where you know they're passing through, figuring out that reverse and saying, okay, here's where they like to hold up. Here's where they're staying for multiple days. That's a really good place to pinpoint later on in the season. I've done really well doing that, finding those pockets that maybe other people don't know about because when they're in there hunting, they're constantly looking for the route that the deer are moving, not necessarily where the animals are holding up. So kind of following that snow line back and thinking about, okay, as these animals move out of the winter range, where are they holding up in these pockets waiting for maybe snow to melt and the conditions to get right to get back to where they're going to summer at? I think one of my favorite things when it comes to spring scouting is mixing it up by doing something else as well. I love including spring hunting of some kind, turkeys or bears, shed antler hunting, maybe even adding in some kind of fishing. You know, it's fun to be able to scout but and get ready for the fall, but it's also fun to do something at the same time. It helps you kind of maybe get a few more days out there. You can bring your family, maybe do some fishing, then some scouting around, make a spring trip out of it. I've I found some of my best hunting spots while bear hunting and turkey hunting. I almost think of my spring hunting as a scouting mission. So I actually pick the places that I want to hunt for the springtime based on where I'm thinking about hunting in the fall and how the conditions kind of line up and what kind of area it is and just better understanding the area because you're going to better understand the habitat in the area, better understand how to access the area. And then you're going to really understand, okay, what are these deer doing that aren't here the rest of the year? When I'm going to scout right before the season, there's actually nothing to look for. So finding and pinpointing those spots during the spring can be a huge bonus when it comes to spending time out there during the fall with an elk or deer tag in your pocket. I hope that that helped you thinking about the reverse migration, maybe at least got some gears turning your head of thinking about finding animals in a different way. I know that when I started focusing on figuring out what they're doing in the springtime, it really helped me be more successful in the fall by building this way better picture of what animals are doing, why they're doing it, and how to figure out and find them with a limited amount of time. So I know that was a very high-level tactic, but I think it's something that probably doesn't get talked about enough and is are the things that I like to talk about because it's definitely going to make you more successful. Now, if you're in an area where you're like, okay, well, spring scouting is great, but I can't spring scout. I live however far away. I got one trip. That's fine. Because you can still use that idea and that philosophy to really kind of build out a good hunt plan just through e-scouting by by really pinpointing, okay, looking at your area and saying, go through the maps, say, what kind of area is this? Is there some low elevation winter range with a big mountain in it? Are they maybe living in the Alpine early and then moving down and then saying, well, when is my season, right? Is my season 
early October where they're kind of caught in that region, that thicker stuff below the alpine? Or is my area a really high alpine, air, like high altitude area with not a lot of big mountains? Maybe an area that they might be moving out of or moving through during the season? Or is my area like a low elevation area that might have a lot of resident deer and not uh, a big migratory um, population. So really figuring out, maybe even just saying like, look at the topo, understanding what your area is built up of, and maybe that might help you pinpoint places to focus on for later in the season, thinking of, okay, animals are moving. Why are they moving? When are they moving? And then kind of building out your hunt plan based on that. I think you're going to be a lot more successful in the long run by thinking about things in that big picture, whether you can get out and scout or not. And if you can get some boots on the ground, maybe you're out for a spring bear hunt or something else, definitely use that to your advantage. Go out and get a good trip in and also use that knowledge for later in the season. And, you know, one thing I like to do, I'll use my mapping software my go hunt maps i'll drop pins i'll make notes i'll say okay i actually just have a color for when i find things in the spring so i know okay in the springtime i saw this here in little notes on all those pins probably well at least for me i forget a lot of stuff by the time the season rolls around it's easy to just pull out my map and click on things and be like why did i mark this spot oh yeah in the springtime i saw a good buck transitioning here or i saw a lot of deer in this particular pocket so that's just a few things to think about I think as the month goes on, I really want to dive into more of this planning type stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about some gear options, some other things, getting ready, some spring stuff, maybe even just some stuff to prep for the season, as well as some spring hunting opportunities. Uh, a lot of things you know that people have reached out and wanted me to talk about. So if there's something that you want to hear about, something, a topic that really uh, you, you want to talk about, obviously shoot me a message on instagram that's probably the best place i love hearing from you guys and and helping build this podcast to what you want as always please feel free to leave a comment like it subscribe it whatever you do wherever you listen i know everybody listens somewhere different so not everywhere has all those options but if there is where you listen i really appreciate that thank you guys so much for the support uh, also, as we kind of go into gear, well, a piece of gear that I talk about a lot because I think it's so integral to what we do is PAX, um, company that I work with a lot, Stone Glacier. I, I believe they build some of the best PAX. They're made in the U.S. And one of the reasons that I really like their product is the integrated load shelves. I can have like a super lightweight, but I can carry as much as 150 pounds on it. Um, you know, you can pull that pack away. And I think it's a really good system to run. Uh, packs are one of those things that when we start talking about gear in some future episodes, we're, we're going to hammer some gear things. And I got a lot of questions about right now, it seems like people are looking into packs and boots. And that's really good because now's the time you want to get comfortable with those things. And any particular piece of gear that does a job a little bit better, makes it a little bit more comfortable, something that's inherently uncomfortable, more comfortable is something that I look for. So the Stone Glacier packs are incredible. Um, and for listeners of Live Wild, if you just put Live Wild in there, they'll give you free shipping. Um, so if you end up going in there, check out their packs, uh, use code Live Wild, you'll get free shipping on that. Uh, just as a little thank you to you guys. I know that um, a lot of people start gearing up for the fall. I do. I'm, I go through all my gear. I'm like looking, see what I need. Maybe there's some new stuff coming out, stuff that I want to try. I'll put it on now. I'll, I'll take it shed hiking. I'll maybe do a spring hunt with it. But really just breaking that gear in, 
because the worst thing is like showing up or getting something right before your hunt and it's like not comfortable. You haven't really figured out how to use it. I think it's nice to be able to play with that stuff before you head out into the field. So now's a good time to start shopping for gear. And I think that we will talk a little bit more about gear in future episodes. So if there's particular gear you guys want to hear about, um, cause that's probably the most thing I get asked about gear, uh, as far as like message, direct messages, just types of gear, shoot me some messages on the types of things you want to hear about. And we can definitely put that into a podcast here soon. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And I say until next week, think of things in reverse, a little bit of reverse migration going on. Catch you guys later.